Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Yeah, it's, it's a really special group we have here. It's, um, yeah, we're just really enjoying each other's company, enjoying playing cricket. It's really relaxed. I think I said it last week. If you asked who the who was going to be in the World Cup side, you know, six months ago, there's probably almost none of us in the team that would have said we're 100% going to be there. And now we've got you know, 15 guys here. We've probably got another guy, five guys that you could say, you know, we're really unlucky to miss out. And everyone's in great form. Everyone's relaxed. And yeah, you know, we've come so far. And I think we're we're playing the way that we've we've talked about for a while that we wanted to play. And um, everyone's in a really really good place. I think just everything's clicked. You know, it's. The batting, the bowling, our game plans, the way we wanted to play, um, and even just you know, everyone being comfortable in their roles and comfortable around each other. I think it, it takes time, but yeah, everyone's in a really good place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. That was Pat Cummins reflecting on Australia's World Cup campaign so far. Sam Landsberger is on the line. Sam, I didn't hear you asking Pat Cummins any questions, and you pulled out of a podcast yesterday. Few too many pints on Sunday. I don't know what you're referring to. You must have listened to a very early version. I thought I was in good form in that Pat Cummins press that we were going toe-to-toe for a little while. Oh, okay. Maybe I, I must have missed that bit out. So you were there. <laughs> you were there. I was there. He was straight after Usman Kawada as well. I think we held the floor then for a few minutes as well. So you might have, uh, forget my points. You might have to go get some, uh, some new headphones. Yeah, I do. Uh, I must have got you confused for another journo. Well... I've been a bit emotional today, Sam, and listeners, there's been big news that the AFL are calling for drop-in wickets at the SCG. Now, now, Sam, you know, you love your AFL, but come on, this is one step too far. 
Oh, I, I, I like the sport. The AFL, I'm not a, a huge fan of. No, I'm with you here. Oh, 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 oh. I'm more interested in your thoughts, though, because I know you're pretty passionate about this. Why are you so strong that this can't be allowed to happen? Well, I just think that that the SCG has a really unique character about it and people and players have played on this wicket for decades, you know, centuries almost now. And and the real tradition of having the SCG pitch as being a traditional square, not being a drop-in, I think it produces better cricket. I I think there's um, some real history there. And it would just be such a shame to just change all that because of a few AFL games. So, yeah, I'll be fired up. I'm planning my protest. I think I'm going to, like, chain myself to the SCG pitch if they try and take it away. I, just in one counter argument, what about the Adelaide Oval? Because beautiful cricket pitch, we see some great games there. That's a drop in, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Adelaide Oval's been okay, but I, I just think why mess with the SCG? You don't need to. The AFL's playing there at the moment. There's no real problem, so I don't see the need to make the change. Uh, again, just being devil's advocate, but I'm with you. I, I, I think AFL. I can get stuff. Leave it alone. Anyway, listeners, I uh, just want to say hello. Um, of course, I'm Andrew Mensel. I've got Sam Landsberger here. He's over covering the World Cup for News Corp. We've been catching up regularly throughout the tournament, and we are going to dissect Australia's performance, stick the boot into England, and do a few other things. <laughs> Um, I've also got a new soundboard, listener, so I can drop in a few sounds throughout the show. So that's going to be fun for Sam. And I must say, you're providing a <laughs> lot more audio material than Ben Horn ever did on tour at the press conferences. <laughs> nah, he's one of the all-time greats, Ben Horn. Uh, yeah, he's uh, it's probably all thanks to the help he's given me from afar. Now, um, I've also noticed that clearly Justin Langer and Ricky Ponting are listening to this podcast because they have taken a lot of tactical suggestions from our discussions. We both thought Kawaja needed to stay at three. We talked about line coming in at Lords on the slope, Jason Berendorf opening the bowling, and they've done it all. Yeah, that's uh, I was wondering where you were going there, but I think you've hit the nail on the head three times. I think we did talk about all those things. They've come through. It'd be interesting to see if they all hold up for... The South Africa game, and then more importantly, one or potentially two finals. I think they are heading that way. I think they're just settled. But, um, yeah, it's a big couple of weeks ahead. And uh, we've got two big fans of the show, and Justin Langer and Ricky Ponting. <laughs> I'll pass that on to the next, uh, the next training session. One thing you never have to lose one second sleep out, my little mate. See, there we are. Justin Langer's taking a shine to you. He's, uh, this is a bit of an ongoing joke with a few of the journos. And about three or four times now, he's mentioned he's told me not to lose any sleep. So we're just a little bit concerned as to why Dale's monitoring my sleeping patterns so much. Maybe he knows my uh, my after my after evening habits, but it's quite funny. Uh, about three or four times I've asked him questions, and he's told me not to lose any sleep. But I can confirm I'm sleeping very well over here. Thank you, Justin. What did I say to the other day, Sammy? <laughs> he really does like you. <laughs> you uh, yeah, you're dropping in the stands everywhere. No, it's uh, it's good fun. He's um. Yeah, he, he likes to keep gags running. There's another journalist over here who he says has a, a big man crush on Glenn Maxwell. So he's got his little in-jokes with us and it uh, kept us on our toes. It's good value from JL. Well, judging by your story on uh, the various News Corp mastheads at the moment, you're the one that has the crush on Glenn Maxwell. You took that big lead from Pat Cummins' comments about the T20 game in India and uh, you've basically credited Glenn Maxwell with turning Australia's fortunes around. 
No, no, I didn't credit Glenn Maxwell. Pat Cummins did. That's, uh, he said that's where they lit the fuse. They, uh, they won that T20 game out of nowhere where Maxie made an unbeaten 113 or I think 55 balls. And Pat said they walked away from Bangalore that night saying, we can win this World Cup. This is actually a, a really good white ball cricket team. And no one believed them at the time. I think they had, they were about to lose four out of 26 ODIs in a row. But since that moment, they've turned the corner. And right now, they're on top of the table in the World Cup and on top of the world there. I think they're the favourites to win a sixth trophy. So that's not me crediting Maxi. That is squarely on the uh, that is squarely on Pat Cummins. I think you need to go back and listen to that audio. You didn't think I was there and you didn't know that Pat said that about Maxi. <laughs> I did hear that about Pat, but I didn't interpret it as being Glenn Maxwell saved Australia. Uh, I just thought it was that one well, confidence-boosting performance from the team and they've gone on with it. Well, Glenn Maxwell did save Australia that day, and that was the game that Australia realised it was a uh, it was a force. But uh, I think it's uh, I think if you put two and two together, there you're certainly getting four. Okay, but you've got the crush on Maxi. Just admit it. You love him. <laughs> I think he's a marvellous cricketer and an even better entertainer. All right, so since our last podcast, England have unfortunately bounced back from their big defeat to Australia, and they won a strange encounter against India. England won by 32 runs. That puts them back in the top four. But uh, Owen Morgan's still not happy with you, mate. Thanks, mate. Nice. How old are you, Owen? I mean, I'm 32 years old. Anyway, you did good to rattle his cage. So, Jason Roy came back into the side. He smashed 66 off 57. Bearstow, 111 off 109, fired up by some criticism. Those two put on 160 in 22 overs. And England never looked back. And, and now, Sam, England need to win against New Zealand on Wednesday's game. Or if Pakistan beat Bangladesh and in- England lose, then Pakistan go through. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, look, you'd think England would be too good for New Zealand. I mean, the Kiwis have now dropped back-to-back games, falling apart a little bit. It's a big game, though. I mean, England, you know, all the newspapers over here have sort of said the pressure's back off England. Well, it's not. I mean... Yes, you had a great win again against India when it looked like MS Sony just thought he'd get the runs after lunch or something. But uh, they've still got to get one more win. Um, so it, it is still perilous times. They've, they've got to win to get through. Otherwise, it does look like Pakistan can, can take their place in the semi-final. So the pressure isn't off yet. I'm sorry, Owen, but um, yeah, thanks, mate. Nice. You, you've got to do it. You've got to back it up and do it one more time because as good as that performance was against India and as strange as the last 10 overs were, they're only halfway there. Thanks, mate. Nice. Um, tell me, what, what do you think was going on with India at the end of that game? They looked like they could at least get closer than they did to the English target. Do you think they just took the foot off the accelerator? I don't know. I mean, look, Vera, I think India said afterwards, you just got to put the credit down to so some really good death bowling by the English attack. But mind you, with wickets in hand, to be you know basically batting singles, it was, it was quite strange. I actually laugh because for about six days beforehand, all the Pakistan media had gone really strongly with India will throw this game to knock us out. And we're all sitting back laughing, saying, that, don't be, that is absolutely ridiculous. There's no way that happens in elite sport. But England got the win and it was, yeah, it was a, it was a really strange last five overs. They said they just couldn't, you know, couldn't hit off the square. But yeah, when you look at the, uh, the, 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 the ball by ball summary, single, single, single dot, Single. It was it was yeah uh, uh, an odd way to finish the game, particularly 
to have what five, six weeks in the sheds and to not get with his dirty runs, yeah, it was peculiar. I think England can get knocked off by the Kiwis because I uh, think New is this Ze- that? Is this the head of the heart speaking? No, this is the head because I think New Zealand have a dangerous enough new ball attack with Bolt and Ferguson and Henry that they can knock over Bearstow and Roy and get into the English middle order. And we've seen that England are prone to getting the wobbles in this World Cup. So all you need to do is get a couple of early wickets and all of a sudden there'll be tremors in the English dressing room. They'll have nightmares about crashing out of the World Cup and they could stuff it up against the Kiwis. But but on the other oh. hand, I don't think Pakistan beat Bangladesh is a fait accompli. So I think England are still in the hunt here, but it could go either way. Oh, I think it's a really good point you make. I mean, this Kiwi team had Australia 5 to 90. Now, thank goodness that Alton Kawadra and Alex Carey really sort of dug in and, and dug Australia out of a, a deep hole. But I, I agree with you. I mean, if England was in that same situation, you would question whether they could get themselves out of that and, and into a winning position. I mean, the, the mental scars potentially. It's a very, uh, it's a very good point you make. But I, I also agree with you as well that Pakistan beating Bangladesh, yeah, you certainly wouldn't be, say that with any, with any great deal of confidence. Bangladesh has been a bit of a surprise hacker. They, they put in some really good games. They got a, a lot of confidence out of their early win against South Africa. And Pakistan's the most inconsistent team in world sports. So who knows which team will rock up. Absolutely right. Well, let's turn our attention now to the Aussies. Uh, you were there, Australia v New Zealand at Lords. Australia 5 for 92 at one stage on the back of some great Kiwi catching. And then mm. uh, Alex Carey peeled off 71 off 72. Usman Khawaja 88 off 129. They rescued Australia. Australia managed to get 9 for 243, even though Trent Bolt took a hat-trick in the end. And uh, it was a great batting performance by Kawaja and Carey. And there is some uh, momentum gathering for the Carey for the Ashes campaign. But I have to say, Sam, I'm a big fan of Matty Wade being the second keeper. Alice Carey only has two first-class centuries to his name. So his time is not here at the moment. He can come back and wait, and I'd give Wade a go. Oh, I think you're right on a few points there. Just on Kawaja, firstly, that that hands down, that's the best early innings of his career. I think he's played 39 or 40 games now. That'll be better than that, and that'll be really hard to top because Australia simply don't win that game uh, without that innings, which not only cemented himself into number three, but surely that's good night for Sean Markey. He won't be getting a game after that Kawaja knock. And on Kerry, I think it might be a little bit too soon for him to play a test, to, to be in the test squad. Um, I think he's likely, I, I think selectors have, have looked at him and said, you are Tim Payne's successor. When Tim Payne hangs up the club, it'll be Alex Carey that comes in and stands behind the stump for Australia. But look, I agree with you that Wade should probably be at the backup in the test squad because he's a specialist batsman and keeper rolled into one. But I mean, the selectors are just so wedded to Carey. I, I, I wouldn't say with any great deal of confidence that Wade would be ahead of Carey. Now, I agree with you that he probably should be on way to form and, you know, against the red ball for, what, six months now. But I wouldn't be shocked if they, um, yeah, if, if they held the other opinion. But I think they have got Kerry Umar to, 
to replace Tim Payne when, when he does retire. Well, Justin, if you're listening, give Matty Wade <laughs> a go. Uh, okay, so Steve Smith was showing off at Lords. He didn't make many runs, but he took a wicket, and he normally bowls leg spin, but he just decided to throw in a few off spinners uh, just to show how talented he is. And can you imagine, uh, Sam, that before this tournament, someone like Joe Barton from the Daily Telegraph was considering not picking Steve Smith, and now he's just showing off at Lords with incredible catches and bowling off spin and leg spin. Incredible, isn't it? Uh, one to the left-handers, one to the right-handers. Yeah, he's just an amazing talent. And I was really thrilled to see him get a bowl because going to all the training sessions, he, he bowls at most sessions. He's been working really, really hard on his craft. When they played sort of like a, an inter-club game at Whitgift in London before the tournament, um, he bowled heavily on the on the spin focus day. So he's actually been really, really committed to, to improving his craft over here in England. And to see him pick up a wicket was fantastic. I mean, it was pretty amazing that Steve Smith and Aaron Finch had World Cup wickets before Nathan Lyon. But, yeah, great reward and an amazing catch as well. So, uh, on the ground, he made his test debut as a leg spinner a bit about nine years ago. He, he came back and got a wicket. Great moment for Australia. And um, the way he was mobbed by teammates afterwards, I think, was really significant. It just shows you how much they love him and how much they, they really enjoy having both him and, and David back. So it isn't really a team that's humming on, on every level at the moment. Yeah, New Zealand was skittled for 157. Mitchell Stark taking five for 26, including the big wicket of Kane Williamson. How good has Stark been? Incredible. I mean, what, he needs three more wickets to overtake Glenn McGrath as, uh, as the most productive World Cup of all time. He's currently got 24 wickets. McGrath took 26. In 2007, he just aims at the poles and he just goes through um, goes through uh, opposition tails like no one else. You know, you can bring him on at any time of an innings, and uh, he looks like taking a wicket. He's really nailed his length this tournament, and to do this on the back of not playing cricket for three, four months with that pectoral injury, it just shows you how much hard work he must have been putting in since he last played cricket in that February Test against Sri Lanka. And credit to him, I mean, to yeah, to, to to work his backside off and get himself to the absolute peak of his game from a World Cup after a very, very low base, pretty amazing effort. And now he starts to go down as one of the all-time ODI greats for Australia. It makes you wonder what Josh Hazelwood might have been able to do, being in the same position coming back from injury. But anyway, uh, Sammy... So you upset uh, Owen Morgan. We've been through that. But then uh, next on, you upset the Aussie coach because you asked him a question that seemed to irk him. Just have a listen. What did I say to you the other day, Sammy? <laughs> I said, do not... I've, no, no, what I said to you the other day is one thing you never have to lose one second sleep about, my little mate, is that the Australian cricket team after the last 12 months will get complacent. That is not going to happen. So the answer is No. So, good question, Sammy, because I have noticed, even with Pat Cummins' audio that I heard, that the Aussies are certainly not complacent, but they're more confident than they were, you know, a month ago. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if you could hear the question there. That was about sort of, you know, resting players, rotating them through, given they've got the luxury of being locked into a semi-final. Um, and, that, and, yeah, obviously, Stark and Cummins have played every game. Would they want to have a look at anyone else in the remaining game? So I thought it was a valid question. They certainly considered resting staff or Cummins when they played four games in 10 days earlier in, in the tournament. They decided against it. They're going to play every game. 
yeah, Dale's been in good form, hasn't he? They are a really confident group. It, it is, it's the most remarkable turnaround in world sport. I mean, this is a team that was an absolute laughing stock six months ago, 12 months ago. They couldn't win a game. They couldn't win a series at home. And they are literally on top of the world. I mean, the, the game plan has proven under, under high-pressure moments. And they're a step ahead of the curve. They're, they're using data and match-ups to, to change their bowling attack depending on who they're playing. They've got this flexible batting lineup where, you know, they, they, they like to keep left hand, right hand combinations. So whoever comes in determines, is determined by who goes out at times. They've revolutionised 50 over cricket and it's worked. And I don't think we should take it for granted how they've been able to get the team together because I was very concerned about this one day side about 18 months ago. And actually, when I interviewed a few of the Aussie players, they did talk about the intention to kind of flick the switch now that the World Cup was imminent. But they were trying to do that 18 months ago and they still were losing game after game. So there was a real concern that they weren't going to be able to turn it around in time for this World Cup. So as you say, it is a remarkable turnaround and and it it is quite staggering what they've been able to do. Well, it all goes back to that four-hour crisis meeting held during the Boxing Day test in Melbourne last year, where it was basically the selectors, Belinda Clark, Justin Langer, and a few of the analysts in a room, and they tore up the entire game plan. They taught the team and said, righto, let's start again. Out went Travis Head, out went Chris Lean, out went Darcy Short, and a few others. And, you know, in came Wilson Kawaja. You know, in came Pete Hanscom, although he didn't hold on to his spot. They, they, they turned over the whole team. They turned over the whole game plan, and they started again. And it's amazing. I mean, you look at England. England held, you know, held similar crisis meetings after they were knocked out by Bangladesh, I think, in, in 2015. And they started again then, and they've been building and building and building for four years and have you know, knocked over records along the way and um, built up to, to become the number one team in the world. The Aussies have done it in five minutes. I mean, six months out from the World Cup, they basically started the whole team again, and it's worked. And it's... it's just, the other teams must be looking, looking on and saying, this is ridiculous. I mean, we've been building for years and we're below them on the ladder. How have they, how have they done this in such a sport, a short amount of time? It is, it is stunning. Yeah, I would say Australia are favourites now. I know uh, Justin Langer likes to keep saying England is still favourites, but that's clearly a tactic. I think Australia must be favourites now with India. Well, I mean, I asked Trent Bolt this um, after the New Zealand game and, he said, yeah, it's Australia's to lose. And the, the follow-up question was, why? And he had a really good answer. It's all about timing in World Cup. It's tournament and play. They've clicked right now. They've been here before. They know how to win these things. And that's what they've spoken about the whole way through. I remember speaking to Ricky Ponting in Southampton before the tournament started. And he said, we almost want to start the tournament a little bit underdone because you don't want to peak in May or in June when you first start playing games. And then the first game was on June 1 against Afghanistan. You want to be peaking in the first two weeks of July, and that's what they're doing. I mean, they banked all these scratchy wins early. They didn't look good against Sri Lanka when Sri Lanka had the, the fastest power play of the tournament, none for 87. They didn't look good against the West Indies when they were, what, 5 for 72 at Trembridge. They didn't look great against Pakistan when it looked like they were going to get the uh, the runs at one stage. So, but they backed all those wins, and in the, in the last week, they've done demolition jobs on contenders in England and New Zealand at Lords where the final is going to be. So they've nailed tournament play. Their timing is bang on. 
and they are primed. I agree with Trent Bolt. It is Australia's to lose from here. So, look, you did great work with Owen Morgan and Justin Langer. So I, I was thinking, you know, Mitchell Stark, he's always a bit prickly. What is Sam going to ask Mitchell Stark post-Lords? And this is what I got. Mitch, is the game plan targeting the, the stumps? It's worked wonders for you to hold the way through. Is that again today? And is that is that been the secret to 24 wickets or have any you've taken so far? Yeah, I, I, it's part of my game plan. <laughs> that was a nothing question. I just like the response. He's like, yeah, like I'm trying to hit the stumps, mate. Well, uh, I'll stitched up there a little bit. That was the first question of the presser. <laughs> I wanted to ask him about the India game. And, well, what he learned from that game. But it was the first question of the press conference. And the media manager looked at me and said, Sam, you're in the loudest shirt. Can you kick us off? And you have to start a press conference with a half volley. <laughs> you can't ask the bloke that's just taking a five-week stall about a game three weeks ago where he went for one for 74. So I was put on the spot there, and that's what I came out with. Not the sharpest work, but uh, we did get uh, the question we wanted to out at the very end. Yeah, yeah. The other stuff was better against Morgan and Langer. So anyway, Stark did say that the bowling group met after the Indian loss and they had a bit of a bowlers group meeting. What did, what came out of that, Samuel? Uh, it's a good question. I'm still trying to dig away to get the exact details. But they had a bowling meeting and they had a batting meeting and they basically went through what went wrong that day. Uh, I think the main thing they talked about was the importance of middle over wickets. I mean, Shawa... Um, Shikha Darwan and Rohit Sharma batted for a long time at the Oval that day. I think about 22 overs that partnership lasted. In fact, with 25 balls to go in the Indian innings, Australia had taken two wickets. So, so they basically walked away from that and they put a premium on wickets. That was the game Adam Damper was dropped after. Um, none for 50 off just six overs that day. So he was hit out of the attack and then he was dropped. So um, maybe they discussed his form as well, but it was mainly about those, those middle-over wickets. And since that game, um, Australia's been able to, to take them in, in every game they've played. So they've gone for a different balance now. I mean, now they've got three wicket-taking options in Barron, North, Sarkin and Cummins' first change, which brings those lines into the game because as that more defensive bowler, he's able to build pressure and with the quick can cash in on. So They've changed their game plan slightly since then. I, I think that was the, the focus of the meeting. Good one, Sammy. So do you think then that this is the best 11 for Australia? Now, look, I know they're not going to say it to you. They are playing their cards very close to their chest, the Aussies. But really, the Aussies' best 11 now is Lyon over Zampa and Berendorf over the other quicks. They'll argue it is still determined by matchups. I mean, matchups is what got Berendorf into the team. They realise that England probably had a weakness against sort of his left-arm options. So that's what got him in there. But he's going to be hard to drop, isn't he? I mean, five wickets against England, and then he gets both New Zealand openers out. Certainly the batting order's locked in. I mean, they don't use data to determine the batting order. It's just the five bowlers. So we know Stark and Cummins are going to play. Berenorf's pretty safe at the moment, and it looks like Lyon is ahead. So um, I can't see a change. But it would have, they'd have to dig deep into the numbers to, to, to get rid of Baron off the line. They're the only two that could possibly go out. Um, I think it's going to be a used wicket on Saturday night in Manchester. So, I don't know, if that spins more, will they maybe play line and Zampa together? I think it's unlikely. I think, I think you're right. I think we are just about set. 
So, yeah, you mentioned uh, the weekend, Australia have South Africa. It's a far cry from 1999 when these two teams met and uh, everything was on the line. South Africa have been hopeless and Australia are marching on. And, you know, there are a few dead rubbers this week. There are. Um, this, this match might have some significance. I mean, I think if India wins its, uh, its, its games and Australia has to win to finish top. And there is a little bit of advantage. I mean, I asked Justin Langer last week, which pitch would suit you more in a semi-final, Birmingham or Manchester? He said it makes no difference. But the added bonus of winning and beating South Africa is that if Australia finishes top, they stay in Manchester, they avoid a travel day, and they also get the earlier semi-final, which would lead to a potentially longer break to the to the final at Lords. So if they win, it'll be just one travel day in, I think, 18 days, given they've just had nine days in London, and then it'll be an, an extended stay here. So from a... From a staying fresh point of view and from a preparation for the final point of view, there's no doubt uh, that Australia has a, a fair bit to, to, to gain by beating South Africa. And they'd also probably get a weaker semi-final opponent. I mean, if they finish first, they're probably going to play either New Zealand or Pakistan in the semi-final. And I think they'd be really confident against both those teams. So you think Australia will want to play at Manchester in the first semi-final? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you dodge another travel day. You've just played at that ground, um, and you're probably going to get a slightly weaker opponent. So for those three reasons, yeah, I, I think winning and finishing on top of the group is a good result. And who do you think uh, Australia would like to face? Uh, well, I mean, I, I've done sort of my, my uh, ladder predictions. If the results sort of go to plan, it looks like it'll be New Zealand or Pakistan. Um, I think Pakistan's pretty dangerous. I mean, Australia just had a, a really comprehensive win against New Zealand, but, I mean, it's sort of um, six to one half a dozen of the other. I think they'd be really confident against both teams. Who, well, who do you think? Who would you rather play at a low two? Yeah, as I said, I think New Zealand are dangerous with their bowling attack uh, and Pakistan are unpredictable. But I think if Australia could choose, I'd rather play Pakistan. New Zealand aren't battle-hardened. They, you know, a lot of these players were in the last World Cup. So they will bring that steel and experience to the semi-finals and the finals. And uh, Brendan McCullum, yep. Baz, was pretty forthright in saying he thinks New Zealand can win this tournament still. So I don't know. I've, I've just had another thought. You definitely want Australia to play, play Pakistan, and you know why? Why? Well, if Australia plays Pakistan, they've taken England's spot. They oh, yeah, made England's ex- out. Exactly. That would be fantastic. <laughs> if results go to plan and it's Australia, New Zealand, the other bonus is that they stay in Manchester, they don't have to travel, they play New Zealand, they have two more days to prepare for the finals, and in the other final, England and India go at it. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're two of the... Uh, they're, they're, they're the two teams that are probably stronger than New Zealand. Great to watch them, you know, go hammer and tong one and one of them get eliminated because it would mean that you don't have to play both those teams in two knockout games, which I think would be a really tough ask. Well, Sammy, you have been fantastic as always. Thanks, mate. Nice. Uh, it's been <laughs> great to get you on the show and try out the new board with you. Um, well, I'll let you go now. I know you've got a few days off. You can hit the cans again. And uh, <laughs> we'll um, catch up in the lead-up to the semi-final because uh, the pressure will be really on the Aussies then. I can't wait. As always, Ben, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, that was Sam Landsberger from News Corp over in England reporting on the World Cup. You can keep up with all his work at dailytelegraph.com.au.
www.ruby.com.au. All right, before I finish up the show, I just want to get something off my chest. People often say, don't punch down, but this has been bugging me. Uh, Some listeners to the show will know that Cricket Unfiltered made the final of the sports and recreation category at the Australian Podcast Awards. I was really uh, thrilled about that uh, because I put a lot of uh, work into the podcast and I'm really proud of the way it's turned out. And for judges to um, independently come to the conclusion that it's in their top six sports podcast, you know, it was a really good uh, pat on the back to me for uh, a lot of work over the summer and the year. And then someone sent me a message that the park cricketers were slagging off these awards. Now, look, I have no problems with them having sour, uh, sour grapes about the awards, but what really got to me was that they brought me into their sort of sourness and, and insinuated that the only reason this podcast made the final is because it is affiliated with News Corp. Have a listen to this. We're affiliated with the Batuta Advocate and not, you know, like News Corp, and that's probably yeah, the, we're disrupting they made the final, traditional so. media. They did make the finals. Yeah, that's no point. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just reckon that was... Uh, a bit over the top. It's farcical as well to think that uh, being affiliated with News Corp would give you any advantage with the sort of independent style of judging that they had. And, uh, you know, the park cricketers are on Channel 7 all summer getting a fair amount of publicity. So what I say to them is don't drag me into your whinging. And look, I'm not sure who said it because I get their voices confused, but Sam Perry from the Park Cricketers did privately distance himself from those comments, and clearly he is a fan of News Corp and the Daily Telegraph. For those who did pick up the Daily Telegraph today, a fantastic rap. Anyway, I've said my piece, uh, and uh, Sam said his. Well, that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. If you want to find me or the show on social media, the podcast is at Oz Cricket Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Amenas, A M E N N E R S on Twitter, and at Amenas Cricket on Instagram. There's also. Um, at News Corp Cricket, which is a funnel for all the World Cup news coming out of our News Corp at the moment. And look, uh, next week I'm getting together for a panel show. So if you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. And uh, I will be reading out some of the reviews. All right, so that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much to Sam Landsberger for phoning in. I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. Back soon with another podcast. For those who did pick up the Daily Telegraph today, a fantastic wrap. Oh, <laughs>